It's witchcraft. It's 4.20 a.m. Hi, and welcome to episode 44 of the Stoned Witches Hour. On tonight's podcast, I'm going to be talking about a haunted mine in Nevada where 35 souls lost their lives and can still be heard in torment today. And Shell will be talking about a creepy cryptid, the Dover Demon. I love cryptids. I love cryptids. (laughs) I do, too. So representing all things creepy on the West Coast, I'm Layla. And here on the East Coast, getting high and chatting cryptids, I'm Shell. Well, hey, Shell. How are you on this dark November evening? I don't like it getting dark at like 4.30. Can I just put that out there? Like, is that natural? I don't think so. (laughs) Now, here's my first question to you for the evening. What's that, Shell? What is real time in the universe? Is it right now or is it when we're in the March through now time? Like which period of daylight savings time is real time and which one is fake and made up by the government? I'm confused. There is no time. It's all made up. It is a construct <laughs> of your imagination. <laughs> I don't know. I think we should split the difference. Just go half an hour. You know, should have just fallen back half an hour and then, (laughs) right, just 30 minutes and then leave it there. Like, don't touch that bitch ever again. Just leave it. I have this friend in England and I'll be like, you know, oh yeah, daylight savings time. You know, now we're not as far apart. And he's like, you Americans are still doing that bullshit. Right? I'm like, like, yeah, we still use inches too. Don't judge us. (laughs) You know how at this time of year, speaking of it being dark, Mm -hmm. you tend to go through things, not like a spring cleaning of sorts, but kind of like a, like a fall cleaning. Like you just, you you go through some stuff. Maybe it's because you're starting to get out holiday decorations and you kind of just like dig through shit. Maybe. Or do you mean like curl up in my blankets in like a big cocoon and not want to ever get out? No, I mean going through stuff. Oh, you mean going through physical stuff. You don't mean going through some stuff within you. You mean like actual, oh, well, okay. So Maybe not necessarily cleaning, but like you're going through stuff, like you're trying to get out your (laughs) holiday ornaments. I'm getting all metaphysical over here and you just mean boxes. I'm just talking boxes, man. I'm getting getting to a metaphysical end though. Oh, okay. Well, Dr. Shell, I have a lot to unpack once you get there. Let me know. So I'm getting there, you know, I'm going through boxes and I'm trying to get some stuff gathered because, you know, tis the season to be over dramatic on decorations. Oh, as you always are. How many, <laughs> how many trees do you usually have in your home? I think the most trees I've had up in my house in, in one year was 12. Oh, that's even more than I thought. I think Fully I decorated. saw eight or nine. Fully decorated. And you know how I am. I got more ornaments than a damn ornament store. You know, I would have thought that Halloween and Samhain was your holiday, but no, Ironically, it's really it's Christmas not. and Yule. It really is, shockingly. So we won't even get into the fact that I have a box of missing ornaments today, and I'm trying not to focus on that because I'm probably just high and have misplaced it. <laughs> I know you've got them organized and cataloged. I you do. know exactly what is missing. I do. But I'm thinking, you know, what, it's not like I threw them away. Like, they got to be no, somewhere. It, yeah. I'm just trying to think. And I even I even said to my sweet love, I was like, you know, I think I just smoke way too much weed to remember where they are right now. And I need <laughs> to put some time into this. But I came across something witchy that I... I had had packed away and didn't have my hands on and found Oh, awesome. Today. I have something witchy I want to talk about, too, that you going through physical boxes reminded me of. So go, what's your thing? So you know how I've always had, like, these hysterical, like, book of shadows. Yes. I found, and I had wanted to start a new one because, you know, every so often, every few years, every decade, you end up starting a new one because the one you had is full. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I really wanted, I I was looking to start a new one, but I had gotten one as a gift and had it packed away, like empty. And I was like, ah. Pristine, perfect, untouched. And you found it? But I also found, and and, and you've got to see this, and I know you'll remember these from back in the day. 
Now, this first one, you're going to laugh. This is dated, I shit you not, like 1996. No way. Remember my first <gasps> book of shadows when I oh put the stickers Oh my goodness, <laughs> look at that. Look at this. That looks like my first book of shadows. Oh my goodness. But then I found the second one. Nice. I like how the stickers have upgraded from just the triple moon. You have like moon phases going. Right, around. right. I had something with these like hardcover leather books, I guess. Oh, back they're, in the day. I love, I love me a good journal. Don't get me wrong. Give me a journal. I am a happy, happy woman. I think you'll remember this old book of shadows based on the stickers. Cause you know, for some reason I had the sticker fetish on all of them. Remember this one where I put the stickers on it that said church activity? Oh, how funny. Yes, I do. And that was the only way to customize it. There was no Zazzle back then. There was no Printify. It you was the stickers. With- That's right. So, so, so I had the one with church activity, which I just still to this day giggle my fool head off of on. But then with all of those, my old ones, and I mean, that's actually pretty cool though, because it's pushing 30 years Every 10 years, I had a new book of shadows and I found them all today. That's a wonderful treasure trove of knowledge to have right now. Oh my there. God, I'm digging through that shit. Like I'm going to spend now until it's warm again. How fun. <laughs> and I know shit. you were one of those people that didn't just take straight notes. You oh. doodled in the margins and you had little pictures. and. But I also was very meticulous. I just random opened up to a couple pages last night and... I was finding like our our big when we would do our big group rituals. I think I found like Lamas 1996. I've actually been looking for it. There's a few things. Um, as you know, I'm kind of bouncing around, and uh, there's a few things that I can't find. And one of them is a box that includes all of my old books of shadows. And I've been looking for Dorian Valiente's Charge of the Goddess. And I know it starts. Whenever you need anything, once a month and best when the moon is full and eight times more in the year, you shall meet in some safe place to celebrate my spirit, who am queen of all women. Sing, feast, dance, make music and love, all in my presence. For mine is the glory of the spirit. Mine is the glory in the... See, that's where I mess up and I can't find it anywhere. I know. Let there be, let there be, let there be... Let there be honor, beauty and love, strength and wisdom, honor and humility, something, something within you. And you who know me notice that your seeking and yearning will avail you not unless you know the mystery. If that which you seek you find not within yourself, you shall never find it without. For mine, for is mine the, is the, the beauty of, of the earth the and the earth. dark moon among the stars and the glory of the spirit. And mine is the ecstasy of the spirit. On I don't know. I can't remember it all. We used to say it from memory so many times in circle, doing ritual, calling down the goddess. And I, I can't remember it. And I can't find the. I can't find that particular version anywhere online. And I know we had them written in our books of shadows. I, I was just gonna say. I'm like looking right here. If you give me a few days to go, I'll through, give you a like, few days. You find it for page, me. Like, like, I mean, I just open up. This is so funny because I just open up to this and um, this is one of those uh, tarot things we did dated April 2000. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We used so, to do presentations and tarot events and all sorts of different things. But what I ended up finding was this <gasps> is the beautiful. new one. I and it's love one of those that. that it's one of those leather with the latch and it has the the handmade paper. That's gorgeous. So this will be Book of Shadows number 4. I love Etsy for things like that. That's stu- well, you live in Salem, so you don't have to Salem. go to Etsy. You can just go yeah. to some cool shop. So it's got like this really cute, like in kind of just design engraved that is a leather in the back. Stunning on, leather book. On the front, it's actually like a tree with dual it's faces. Like a person and it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like a god and a goddess in the tree. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. I love it. I love it. So that was my big find when I was looking for decorations today. Nice score. And, you know, there is something very nice about 
finding old books of shadows, which you know, so. maybe you look, you wanting to find yours and me just happening upon mine. Maybe that's a sign that you're going to find yours real quick. Oh, Cause I all of my, so. all of mine just like appeared out of nowhere when I was looking for Christmas decorations. I don't know what happened to it. We haven't been able to find it yet. You're probably with my Christmas ornaments right now. Probably. Hopefully we will all find them. But speaking of Christmas ornaments, I have been kind of getting into a craft lately. Um, Hold on one sec. Pause for pipe smoking. Right? (laughs) Just hold on while I take this hit. So I've been getting into doing witch balls. I love them. I always pick that up kind of this time of year. It's very similar to your similar jars. To bottles. Yeah. yeah. But I take a glass or a plastic. It looks like a, a round ornament, Christmas ornament. You can you get see. those that are just clear and undecorated, so to say. Exactly. You can buy them in bulk. They're usually not that expensive. And then I just like to take herbs and stones and anything that I might. Sometimes I'll write a little spell on a piece of parchment or ribbons, anything that you would use in a spell or a ritual. You, you can, can even get one of those Rider weight mini, super mini tarot yes. decks and put tarot cards in them. Absolutely. Miniature tribe mushrooms, little miniature anything. If it goes along with the spell or the intention, it'll go in the witch ball. Balls. And then you That's right. And they look <laughs> beautiful. And then I like to decorate the cap outside with like twine and you know, maybe some dried flowers or some crystals and just seal the spell in there. You could even use colored ribbon depending colored on what your ribbon. spell or intention is as well. Mm-hmm. Or you could also, in, in the same fashion of color, um, seal it with wax. Exactly. Now, my husband, who is also a witch, he has used this. He has taken a... He likes witch balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> he handles witch balls very well. <laughs> but so he t- took this witch ball and he took this really nice nug that we grew and he put it in the witch ball and he hung it over our altar and so whenever we were doing ritual and spell work all that good intention kind of went into the idea was it, it would go into that witch ball and then after you know a month of kind of doing that we took it out and smoked it in ritual space, in intentional space. Was it dried out though? No, because this was a bud that we were already curing. That was at the last stage of cure. So we put it in there and you can, these jars do seal up pretty well. So if it's sealed in a glass witch ball, it's not really gonna dry up too much. You know, in a couple of weeks or even in a month, it's still going to be perfectly good to smoke. That's very cool. And, and I aren't they fun? Because like you said, it's very much the same as my witch jars, my witch bottles. Exactly. Just the shape of a container. Right. It's just in a different shape. Fun to make. They really are. Do all kinds of different things. I love them so much for that. And I love the balls because... This time of year, I do like to decorate a Yule tree, and I love that shape of ornament. They look really good, and they also look beautiful suspended in front of a window if you have several of them. In your kitchen, I like to make them as a housewarming present to do a a house blessing, and you would put all your different herbs and stones and items in the ball for the house blessing, personalized to the person that you're giving it to, and then you can kind of gift them that. And if they hang it, especially in their kitchen or a place where people will gather, or in the center of their home, that can kind of bring that energy and protect that house, bring that blessing energy into them. So you can use them for all sorts of different things. What I've kind of been into the last week or two, and I I do this generally every year. This is my ramp up time for it, really. I love the jars. I love the bottles. Same concept with your balls. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I dig simmer pots this time Mm. of year. Dig, dig, Mm -hmm. dig. Okay, so this oh, is... Oh, yeah. Do you have any day. good simmer recipes? Oh, my God. Not like I have it written down, but let me tell you what I did the other day, and you are just going to want to die. Being from upstate New York, we know what legit, hardcore, badass apple cider is. They don't necessarily have that here. It's more kind of like grocery store apple cider. Okay. So I had this idea. I didn't feel guilty using it because it was that watered down fill a pot you know a spaghetti pan it's probably got an official name but i call it a spaghetti pan but you know like a spaghetti pan. yeah i know what you're talking about kind of that bigger type pot dump a whole gallon of the grocery store watered down apple cider in that pot and then two oranges slice them up two apples slice them up um what else did i put in there i think i put in a pine cone (laughs) 
you know, sometimes I just pick shit out of the yard. <laughs> it has no rhyme or reason. Yeah, hey, that always works. If something that's from your garden or or from your yard, it's definitely more connected to you. But there was also like two or three sprigs of pine in there and then some cinnamon sticks. Put that shit on like a simmer. Oh my God. Oh that my God. That is so perfect. And you can do this. You can turn this into a spell. Like I didn't drink it. I just like no. cooked it. It's just something that's meant to be simmered on your stove to kind of scent your house. It's kind of like a, a liquid cooking potpourri. I kind of think of it as like, a, I don't know, there's no better thing I can think of than a negative energy diffuser. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and it's, it kind of permeates your whole house when you do something like that. And you can, again, turn it into a spell. If, you, if you're standing in front of your cauldron or your spaghetti pot on the stove, <laughs> you know, and you have all your ingredients there. You can pour in your um, apple juice and... Uh, in the past, other times I've put cranberries and stuff in there. I just didn't have them handy this time around. Yeah, and and apples, apple juice is great for a spell this time of year because it, it is a symbol of life, death, and wisdom, and rebirth. And if again, if you cut it kind of lengthwise, you'll get that magical star. So it can also be protection. So you kind of put that in there and you start s stirring it clockwise and picture your intention picture the intention as as the scent permeates your house it's also going to permeate your house with positive energy and you kind and of breathe in that intention and breathe in that positivity as exactly that aroma is filling your house with beautiful yummy goodness yep and oranges and lemons are perfect to put in there this time of year because they represent the sun and life and vitality they're also you know wonderful to remind you to bring in happiness that that citrus is a, a great happiness infuser for the house as well and pine cones are symbols of resurrection enlightenment let's see what is pine itself that's usually to me i like pine a lot for cleansing and purification um i was just like i said thinking more of that like getting that that negativity to kind of break up and disperse yeah it is very much a positivity thing and cinnamon as well is also a very positive herb. It's, it's like love and spirituality, good luck and protection. And cranberries too, that like bright red of cranberry, if you wanna put some of those in there as well. Happiness in the home and- That's right, bringing in abundance and that bright red energy, that life energy into your home. And if you put all of those in there and, and think of, of what they kind of represent to you and magically, then just kind of let it simmer on low for a while. Oh my gosh, your house is going to smell absolutely. But you know, on the tail end of that, so you're done, end of the night, simmer pot's over, you're going to bed, you got to handle your pot. Yeah. Get it? Handle your pot. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've done in the past, carefully strain out things. So like I'll strain out the pieces of oranges. You can't do it with the apple because it kind of starts turning applesaucy consistency. But take out the oranges and then put them on paper towels and let them dry for a few days. So they get basically like hard and dried out. And then I've actually used those either bits and pieces of those in incense recipes or in um, decorate decorative, like a wreath with like a dried out orange piece in it. Generally nothing too intense on a reuse if I'm using it in like an incense thing, it's more for smell than magical purpose because it is a reuse. But I, you know, you want to try to reuse some of them and they do mm -hmm. look kind of cute, dried out. I also like to take it, uh, same thing, I'll strain it. If I have any cinnamon sticks, I'll usually take those out. But I like to use mine in spells where I'm going to put something outside as an offering. You know, I can kind of put that outside, return it to the earth, you know, as as a an offering in a later spell, you know, something like you said, dry it out. And who doesn't love dried orange slices this time of year? Take some orange slices, some cinnamon sticks, and you've got yourself a beautiful Yule ornament for your exactly. mantle or your tree. <laughs> exactly. You know, you can make cute things out of simple dried fruits and stuff. Holy crap. I just realized the day after this episode airs, is thanksgiving in the united states it is the Thanks. united states thanksgiving i this year is flying flying past 
it's going to be Yule before we know it, which is probably why we can't stop talking about it right now. But probably because I get all my decorations out and I start decorating the day after Thanksgiving. When you put up <laughs> as many trees as I do, you got to get that shit moving after you're done eating turkey. So you are prepared. You've got everything ready to go. This is like your Yule Olympics. Yeah. Have like decorations out. Go, go, go. I have to eat all of my Thanksgiving dinner and I have to be thankful for everything so that I have the energy to wake up on Black Friday and start decorating like a mad. <laughs> yeah, go girl. Most people look at Black Friday for shopping, me decorating. No, I try to avoid everything on Black oh, yeah. Friday. I just kind of hibernate in my house and don't do anything. Exactly. Decorate. See? That's right. Well, no, actually, I'll probably be working on this podcast or working in my garden. Right now, I'm smoking on some crappy homegrown. Oh, my God. I have some Cushman's, and it's like 29.2%, and it's so great, and I just want to cackle about it right uh, now. <laughs> mine is fine. It gets me high, but it tastes like crap because I've been traveling too much and neglecting my garden, and I happen to schedule a trip the same time I was curing some weed, and it dried out too much. So um, ugh, I'm dry. I'm smoking some overdried Gorilla Glue, and it's getting me high, really high, and it tastes okay. Ugh, it's not something I would give to guests, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll smoke it as penance, but <laughs> I'm not sharing that shit with anyone. It's too crappy. I'm probably going to end up turning it into butter. Well, I've got some pretty good stuff, and I don't mean to brag, but it's delicious, and it gets you really high, and it's a good smoke. Not gonna lie. I am jealous of you and of our listener who wrote into us, Darlene from Florida, who wrote us about her pineapple upside down cake, which has got a 27 to 29.6%. That is a good strain, by the way. Right? That is a cultivar I would absolutely love to be smoking right now. So Darlene, oh, so jealous. You can't have any of my homegrown, Darlene. It's too bad. But if I make brownies out of it, girl, you're welcome to some and we'll smoke your pineapple upside down cake and we'll eat my brownies. Yeah. Sound like a deal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great night. But Darlene, thank you so much for writing in. And I'm so jelly of your weed right now. Hi, Darlene. Thanks for listening. Yeah, Darlene and your bestie in Florida. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. So yeah, I'm going to pack another bowl of my crappy So weed I got a story and, um, for you. Listen to Shell's story. Yes. What are you going to tell me tonight? Okay. Something about a cryptid, you said? I did. Now, ah, the queen of cryptids is back. I don't know what my fascination with cryptids is. You know, I, I, I had to get, I just had the Halloween hangover from hell this year. I don't even know what that was about. So it took me a couple of weeks to get back into my groove, but I came across. Now, this story is again out of Massachusetts. I can't even get away from this place, but I came across this cryptid and I was so intrigued. So, I want to talk about the Dover Demon. Now, the thing that gets me about this is there was actually only ever three sightings over two days, and that's it. Kind of like the pumpkin-headed cryptid in Riverside. Correct. And so, basically, over like about a 25, 25 and a half hour period... There were three sightings. Oh, and shit. The, yeah. And three people from totally different backgrounds, you know, basically meaning that it's not like it was three friends who made up the same story. You know what I mean? Right. So this happened. Um, it's It's been like 45 years and there hasn't been a sighting since. But because this is so close to home for me right now. Like, I almost want to go dig through the woods because I'm intrigued. You should. Hopefully it's not raining for you. And hopefully the locals have heard of it. Everybody has apparently heard of it is the thing. Oh, good. Yeah, no one had heard of that pumpkin-headed cryptid in Riverside. I was so sad. So, like I said, it's been about 45 years. This happened on April 21st and April 22nd of 1977. So, this, this creature that has become known as the Dover demon. Like they even like literally consider it one of Massachusetts great mysteries. Really? And they also call it one of the world's great cryptid cases. Wow. So just three sightings over basically like one day and it's one of the world's great cryptid sightings. What the fuck happened? Apparently. That made quite the impression. 
It did. It did. So it's described. First, I'll get into the description. It's kind of described as a small, gangly, hairless creature with large, glowing eyes. That sounds terrible. Now, I saw a couple of pictures of it, and the only thing I could maybe equate it to was a combination of a gray, a gray alien, an octopus, and a human. Oh, yeah, that sounds really <laughs> terrible. Ew. <laughs> There was act and, and and this was actually a, a cryptozoologist looked into this as well, and I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. But I'm going to start out with what what the three separate sightings are. And you so, said these were three people who were not affiliated with each other, correct. all saw the same thing, correct, in, in the same time period, within about twenty five and a half hours of each other, correct. Oh, wow. Oh fuck. Okay. So we're going to start out with a man named Bill Bartlett. Bill Bartlett was 17 years old at the time and was driving with his two friends um, at about 10.30 p.m. And he spotted a strange creature in his headlights. He said he said something ahead. He saw something ahead on a stone wall and he wasn't sure if it was a cat or a dog. His headlights were hitting the things and the eye, the hitting, you know, straight onto the thing and the eyes were glowing. Like, just like, like, you know how... Like, like when York, a deer jumps out. Like, in front yeah, of I was you. just going to say, when a deer jumps out and the eyes are kind of glowing. Yeah, like you can usually see the eyes glowing on the side of the road before that fucker jumps in front of your car, if you're lucky. Right. But he said that as he got closer and got a good look at the thing and it, it turned towards him and he saw these hand like things grasping onto a rock. What? But they like, were like, it's going to throw a rock at him? No, they were like, they were kind of like hands, but like suction cup hands. Ew, like tentacle suction cup hands? That's why I said kind of like a cross between a a gray, a gray head and an octopus and a human. (laughs) That is so gross. So suction cup hands, like a, like an octopus kind of thing? Yeah. And he basically, he said it, it appeared to be walking on all fours and had strange feet and hands with like long digits, but the digits kind of had like suctiony things. Ew. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like cephalopods. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to see one walking around in the headlights of my car. He said it had two large, round, glowing, glassy, lidless eyes shining shining like two orange marbles. And he said the head was shaped like a marble and was the same size as the rest of the body. And he noticed the body was like peach colored and described the skin like shark skin and kind of like sandpaper. How long did he look at this creature? He had an awful lot of details. And can I say that sounds extra terrible it sounded like he only really had maybe about a 20 to 30 second look and he got shark skin same size head as body orange head peach body tentacles suction maybe he smokes less weed than us i don't know okay good point okay carry on so basically what he did was the minute he got home he literally went down and drew exactly what he saw because apparently he was blessed with a photographic memory and artistic ability. Okay, you should have led with that. Lead with that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> he went home and drew exactly what he saw. And actually, um, when you Google the Dover Demon, his sketch is what has become the famous image of the Dover Demon. Oh, yeah. Photographic memory, ability to draw. That's awesome. He could put down lots of detail. But, you know. How creepy to have to remember that in full detail for the rest of your life, though. How how creepy is that? You know how there's some God-fearing folk in this world? God bless them. Bless their hearts. On his original sketch, on the back of it, he wrote, I, Bill Bartlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. Wow. Like an authentication. Basically like an authentication. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was Bill Bartlett. So now we're going to move on to John Baxter, a man named John Baxter, or a, a kid named John Baxter. Now, what I say Bill Bartlett was like around 1030 p.m. Yeah. Later that night, about two hours after Bartlett's sighting, like around maybe midnight or so, 15-year-old John Baxter was walking home from his girlfriend's house. Now, 
granted what you know bartlett was 17 and baxter was 15 but they were not affiliated with each other you know one was out in a car one was walking yeah. home from his girlfriend's house well so 15 again, and 17 is you know that's pretty grown up that they're 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 not they're not affiliated necessarily yeah and they're so, not like 10 year olds who are going to be hysterical they're right you know these are kids that you know they grew up in this area they know what's what you know they're not going to i mean okay it's possible that their age could play into it but they're also not little kids either right so this kid john baxter's walking home from his girlfriend's house and his recollection was up in front of him he saw a thing the shadowy figure walking upright like a little human um, he noted that it had a large head. He knew a friend in the neighborhood had a head that was bigger than normal. So he thought it was his friend. So he started yelling out, hey, MJ, is that you? But it wasn't him. <laughs> How horrible. Why would you even say that there's a kid in the neighborhood That's with a big head? That's horrible. Because he thought it was his big-headed friend, MJ, obviously. <laughs> but so him and the creature were about 15 to 20 feet apart. And he basically, you know, he's Did yelling. Did he still think it was MJ when he was 15 feet apart? Initially. And then the creature turned around and he got a glimpse of his face. And then the creature all of a sudden took off and ran into the gully up a little slope and leaned against a tree. All he ever reported was that the creature stood upright against the tree and that it had the same shape and a big head. He also described the spidery-like fingers. Did he say what the face looked like? He, he said the eyes were glowing faintly, but not with any color. Now... He also, even though he had really no artistic ability that was noted, he did also make a drawing of what he saw, and it looked exactly what Bartlett drew. Oh, wow. So they corroborated each other's stories, Correct. even though they didn't know each other. Correct. Fucking creepy. So then we have um, a girl. Now, this was exactly 24 hours later, so basically the next night. There was a, a, a girl named Abby brabham i might not be saying her last name right but abby brabham okay 24 hours later she was a 15 year old girl she was in a car with her boyfriend boy people start dating young down in dover <laughs> sorry so she's in a car with her boyfriend <laughs> and she presumably saw the same creature that the boys saw the night before um, so what the, her story was is Abby saw something in the headlights. The creature was on all fours crossing the road. It kind of looked to her like it was kind of like a monkey or a human, but was hairless and kind of beige or tannish beige with no okay. nose, no ears or tail. Okay, but monkeys and octopuses don't look alike. Yeah, but you're talking about a 15-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy. I'm telling you what I, I guess see so. drawings. Okay. Because she did say it looked like it had no nose, no ears, or, or a tail. Um, she did also describe it with orange glowing eyes. Oh, wow. And then ever since then, April 21st, April 22nd, 1977, nothing. So then, Really? Correct. So then there's this, you know, there's, there's this person, Lorne Coleman, who is a noted Maine native and cryptozoologist, kind of about 30 years after. So you figure this was about 10 years ago or so. About mm -hmm. 30 years later, kind of got a little intrigued because, you know, cryptozoologist spooked sure. around. So Lauren Coleman went and actually spoke to the teens and actually was able to get some good information they were oh, both cool. so they were interviewed like shortly after they saw it by a crypto a crypto that's a hard word to say cryptozoologist <laughs> that's pretty awesome that they were interviewed by a cryptozoologist like shortly after it happened to kind of like get the details down within a week that's great now what they what lauren concluded was that all three teens were not able they basically we're not in social circles or what have you to to have made up the story collectively. All three sightings seemed verifiable. All three sightings happened over a two-night period and were within a two-mile radius and near water. Some authorities passed the creature off as like a fowl or a moose calf, 
but no such animal has been spotted. So like a bird or a moose calf <laughs> with suction cup fingers. Now keep in mind, any such animals that were that young would have been out of season at that time of year. Just saying. That's weird. And also, when do you see moose walking upright like a human? I'm just saying. And when are their eyes glowing? Yeah, right. Well, it depends, you know, like... like, Well, the the, the tapetums or whatever. Yeah. That's true. The the light does kind of reflect off their eyes. Yeah. So because the sightings happened during like a school vacation week, people investigated how well the teens knew each other and and it ended up that they really didn't. They had not contaminated each other, um, according to Coleman. And Coleman felt as a cryptozoologist that the sightings were genuine. And interesting that they occurred near water, which is exactly where the Riverside pumpkin-headed cryptid was sighted as well. Right. And, you know, because these creatures kind of needed that water. Right. The strange coincidence was if you take a map and put a ruler on the map, the points where the sighting happened almost line up in a direct line over like a mile long, almost like like it was traveling or that was its territory. Like like it was like maybe like walk in the water line. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that was, you know, it was kind of traveling up the river that way. The thing is, I'm just sad that no one has seen it since. Me too. I wonder why. Why not? So what was it? Like, they don't know. You know, almost immediately, people are trying to say, you know, oh, it was a moose. It was a fowl. But again, you know, how many times, first of all, you're going to see a baby moose in Southern Mass, like legit, and on all fours. But you figure at the With time- With a bulbous head that's like the same size as its body. It doesn't yeah. sound like some type of bird or a moose. And not to mention, you know, okay, there are a lot of horses and stuff in that area, but no one reported any animals missing. Some people tried to say that what the teens saw was nothing more than like a fox or a dog, um, but they insist it was definitely uh, bigger than that. They don't think it was extraterrestrial because, again, like I said, it kind of had the head and the eyes. You could kind of say maybe like the gray head aliens, um, but they definitely yeah. did not think it was something extraterrestrial. They think it was an animal. No, even the cryptozoologist, the cryptozoologist. No, okay. they definitely it believe, alien to me. They definitely think it was an animal. It was actually featured in the 2013 book Monsters of Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Mysterious creatures in the Bay State. Hmm. But Coleman pointed out that the Dover demon does not fit the known pattern of a ghost or a fairy or a UFO knot. It is a true enigma. They actually considered it an anomaly because there were credible people that saw it over those two days in 1977. I wonder if it was just passing through, you know, it was headed somewhere else and just happened to be there for a couple of days and got sighted. You know, and and that could be because you figure that is where that's located. Not that it's necessarily right on the ocean, but it's very close to the ocean where things could come inland. And let's just face it, people, we don't know what's in that water still. Mm -hmm. And and I kind of want to wrap this up by pointing out that for the record, the Dover Demon is not the first strange sighting in this small town. Um, stories have circulated for centuries about buried treasure, about pirates. So it's a town with like a like a history. It's there's a also a past. yeah. There's also have a legend of a devil on horseback being seen in the 1600s. No shit. I and I'm gonna see if I can dig up some information on that. I came across that when I was looking into this, and I was like, ooh, I want to look into that. Yeah, we need more info on that one, right? But so this town, a lot of stories keep creeping up because of this town and around this town and near this town. It kind of goes back to my original theme that I think Massachusetts is just creepy just because it's like old. <laughs> yeah, super I do, old. I do think that because the ocean is so close, there is the possibility that something could have evolved to be able to move on land that was maybe once an ocean-like creature. Oh, maybe it was an ocean creature and it just kind of popped out for a day or two and was like, no, fuck this, too many people here and went back in the water. And that's like why mermaid. no one has seen it again. Like yeah. a mermaid, like a mermaid, like a mermaid. Oh, but not cute, though. If it's no. a merman, I'm going to be so disappointed. Yeah, but you know how they talk about how there can be um, maybe over in the Pacific, some of those underwater alien nations? 
Oh yeah, like the the Atlantis nations way over there. Sure. Maybe it's a gray head from Atlantis over in the Pacific and it swam over to Massachusetts. A cryptozoologist, and they're the professional, said not alien. Correct. Correct. I really want to know what it takes to be a cryptozoologist because I so think that would be right up my alley. Yeah, I totally think it you'd be you'd be amazing at that. The crypto queen? Fuck yeah. I just can't believe how many cryptids are around here. So they're like everywhere. I was thinking about maybe when the weather gets better in the spring, I want to go down to Dover and see if I can find me a demon. You should go demon hunting. Right? Hopefully you won't get rained out like I did. <laughs> I just want to know. Yeah, me too. Fuck, I want to know. Maybe on like the 48th anniversary. Oh, yeah. <gasps> I went on the anniversary and found nothing. You Maybe you go on the anniversary and you'll get something cool. Maybe I'll see a cryptid. Maybe you will. I didn't see shit except for a couple of rundown businesses and people who thought I was weird. <laughs> but you know, cryptids are, that's the whole, I think, thing with them. They're elusive. You're that's not true. See, you're not going to see them all day, every day. I mean, Jesus, look at Bigfoot. And honestly, until I started doing this, I hadn't heard of too many cryptids. I mean, I'd heard of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, you know, I'd heard of Nessie. I'd heard of of a couple of the uh east coast ones like isn't there one in um in one of the great lakes jersey devil the jersey devil i'd kind of heard a chupacabra chupacabra stuff like that i'd heard of a little you bit didn't realize how many there really are no i had no freaking idea they're everywhere remember everywhere. the puck, remember the puck wedgies i'd rather not thank you <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least the Dover demon doesn't try to enchant you to death. That's very true. Oh my God, this is my first cryptid who didn't try to kill people. Holy shit. That's yeah, great. That is great. I like that. I like cryptids He's a friendly, that aren't... The Dover demon is friendly. Non-murdery cryptids are good. They call this one a demon and the damn thing is friendly. I don't even I, get it. Where'd the demon part come from? Just because it looked weird? That's like, I think so. That's like yeah. prejudiced. That's yeah, no, I think, I think that's why. That's so rude. It, like you said, it didn't even hurt anybody. It didn't kill anyone, didn't mesmerize anyone, didn't enchant anyone. But a puckwudgie sounds like something you can cuddle up to and that's going to kill you. Yeah, right? The little fucker. So speaking of things that I don't like, I am talking about a haunted mine today. Oh, wow. So unlike right? you. Very cramped. I hate that shit. Very claustrophobic-like. I'm staying mostly out of the mine, so, you know, we don't have to go into it too much, so... So to avoid that, I'll be staying out of the mine mostly and talking about the hauntings that are seen above ground, both at the entrance to the mine and also at the Gold Hill Hotel that is next door to the mine and is said to be built above the mine proper where a terrible tragedy occurred. And the hotel and the mine are both haunted. I'm going to take us to the state of Nevada. Ooh. And to a town called Gold Hill where the yellow jacket mine was found and get this on top of a huge quartz deposit. Oh, how awesome would that be to go to and do a ritual on? Oh, spooky, spooky. I think people have, but okay. So this mine, the yellow jacket mine, the claim was put in on May 1st in 1859 and it was staked on a large cropping of quartz. But the, what they were actually after was far below in the form of silver and gold underneath this quartz deposit deep in oh, the no hills. Oh, no shit. That's like a triple decker. Like, go get the quartz and the gold and the silver jackpot. Exactly. And they started digging deep into this hill. They drilled a mine shaft way down in and then tunnels down into the hill. And they framed these tunnels out with big timber logs to make it somewhat safe. But... Back in the 1800s, working in a mine, none Not of it, safe. none of it was safe. It was so hot in the mines that these men would very often strip down to nothing but their pants, and they would be shirtless, no hard helmets, no gloves, no boots. They would often be carrying lanterns, that oil lanterns that were just a fire lantern. And oh. I don't know, I don't know if you know, but there was very often pockets of gas in these mines. And didn't they take canaries with them? Yes, the old saying canary in the coal mine. They would actually take canaries in cages down into the mines because small birds like that are very susceptible to changes in oxygen. And if there was like a hazardous gas that would come through, the bird would die pretty quickly. 
Hence, they would have a, a warning that they needed to get away. So a canary in a coal mine is an early warning or something that kind of gives something away. That was their safety measure, was a canary. This yellow jacket mine was built near the town of Gold Hill. And much like a lot of mining towns at the time, it became a huge boom town. Within months of Nevada becoming a territory in 1861, Gold Hill went from a teeny tiny frontier town to a booming mining city. The population doubled from 638 to 1,297, practically overnight. A lot of those places did, like there was like pop-up mine towns. Exactly. And because this mine was up the hill, they did have some shacks and buildings built near it um, that were small bunkhouses for the men to stay in, where they could kind of change clothes and or stay overnight, depending on what shift they worked. And a lot of times they had to change, because remember I mentioned it was so hot in the mines, they'd usually strip down to just their shorts or their pants. Yeah. Well, this is Nevada in the mountains, and there's snow in the wintertime. And so they would be super hot, sweaty, covered in dirt and grime from their like 12-hour shift, and they'd come up to freezing cold temperatures. And so they'd go into these little shacks, and they'd kind of change and warm up, and sometimes they'd Acclimate. stay there. Exactly. Clean up. Uh, but because of this temperature shifts, a lot of them got pneumonia or would get very, very sick. And a lot of them would get sick because of the conditions in the mine. They would use their bare hands or crude tools to get the silver and gold or out of the mine. So a lot of the men had health problems and there were a lot of accidents, as you might suspect. Then, unfortunately, the worst accident in Nevada's mining history happened on the morning of April 7th, 1869. Deep in the bowels of this mine, around the 800-foot level, it's said, and this is just speculation, that one of those oil lanterns accidentally was knocked over. Oh. Yeah. And it caught fire to the timbers that they used to frame the tunnels and to some of the gases that were in the mine. Thankfully, it happened during a shift change, but unfortunately, the fire just ripped through these mine shafts and the old wooden timbers. And it, the timbers kind of smoldered and collapsed, and poisonous gas filled these mine shafts and was kind of racing through behind these miners that were trying to get out. Oh. Firefighters tried to get in to save some of the miners, but the fire was burning so hot and the smoke and the fumes were so poisonous and deadly that they couldn't even get in. 35 miners were killed, and it's possible that there was a handful of others that weren't recorded being in the mines, but 35 known people died, and 11 bodies were never recovered. Oh, wow. They had to seal off several levels of the mine, and they couldn't even go back to work for about three weeks. It took them that long to take out as many bodies as they could and, and shore up and protect the mine as best they could. I honestly thought that only coal mines burned that hot. Nope. They say that some of them burned so hot that they continued burning for years. Wow. And this was a silver and a gold mine. Those mines ran for a couple more years, but in 1876, it started losing money. And they drilled so far down, I believe it was 3,080 feet, and they hit water that was 170 degrees. Holy shit. Yeah. That water quickly overtook everything and kind of flooded the mines, they had to cease their deep mining. And by the end of the year, they had to kind of shut it down. A few years later, they were able to resume after they found some better pumps and kind of get in there. But again, they would they encountered super hot water. And eventually, they kind of shut it off and just left it underwater ever since. Once they went back to work, they had trouble because some of the miners would hear the cries of the miners that had been trapped there when the accident happened. Oh, they would go to work and then they quickly come back pale as ghosts, shaking and saying that they could hear screaming from miners trapped in tunnels that were sealed off. And there's no way anyone could still be alive in there. They say that to this day, you can see orbs around the entrance to the mines. You can't go in the mines because they've been filled in. And again, they're kind of full of water. You can hear, um, you can see orbs, blue Your and white favorite orbs. Thing. My favorite thing right around the entrance. And there are some shafts that aren't full of water and they are, they're closed to the public, but a few people have been able to go down there and they all have the same reports of being able to hear the miners working and kind of like the low talk of men, just kind of general talking and they'll hear banging and sounds of rock on rock or 
or hammers hitting rock. So they can't get the water out? I don't know if they can. And I don't know if, you know, I didn't kind of look into that. Maybe they got all the gold and silver out and it wasn't really profitable okay. anymore to do that. So I don't know. I don't know about that part. But I do know they got over $10 million worth of gold and silver ore between 1868 and 1888. Some, you wow. Know, that's a lot of money back then. Maybe they figured that was kind of enough. So you can't go there, but do they do like tours of the area? You can actually go there. And the houses that I mentioned, the little bunk houses that but were But I mean, you can't go shaft. down in the tunnels. No, but you can go to the tunnel entrances. You can see the mine shafts. You can see all the equipment that they had there. And you can actually stay in the bunk houses that were right there that these men stayed in right before they went down to their doom in this mine shaft. And there's several little cabins they've been converted into an Airbnb and it's rumored that cabin 19 is the most haunted. And one of the caretakers said that people will regularly go there and do seances and try to contact the dead. And they're, they're often quite successful. I believe there's a few miners that are very chatty and they're known to inhabit cabin 19. Today, you can rent some of the one-room cabins, uh, particularly cabin 18 and 19. You have to ask for them specifically. And the rumor is that they aren't listed with the other cabins that you can rent through the Airbnb because of their proximity to the Yellow Jacket Mine. I've heard it said that many people have tried to spend the night there and make it through without getting spooked and that no one has yet made it an entire oh, wow. night without some sort of paranormal activity happening, particularly in Cabin 19. The reason Cabin 19 has so much paranormal activity is because it's directly, it's right near the mine entrance. And it's believed that some of the bodies and some of the people that were pulled up out of the mine were brought into Cabin 19 and that many of them died there. Oh, shit. They say that everyone that stays there hears whispers and will eventually start hearing creepy voices saying macabre things and just kind of talking and whispering and moaning throughout the night. And if that's not enough to spook you, the doors will open and shut and slam. The windows will open and shut. Objects will be tossed across the room. People say, um, I believe there was even a paranormal investigation that happened in cabin 19. And one of the camera women had her camera physically, well, ghostly lifted up out of her hands thrown across the room and she had scratch marks down her back and no one was near her. Oh shit. There have been quite a few disturbing EVPs captured inside that cabin. Um, there's a lot of anger there. They say that there's um, people feel like they were murdered. They feel like they were left to die. And there's an extreme um, sense of anger and frustration. Cabin 19 has been reported by multiple psychics and paranormal investigators to have as many as six specific entities, all minors, that passed away in that tragedy. Well, there, that, that quartz has still got to be right under that, and, you, and that's got to kind of trap some of that there. Yeah, a lot of people do feel that because the, the high magnetic energy that's in that area with all that quartz, they feel that all 11 of those souls are still there, and that the, the recording, the imprint of that day is what people who go to the mine shafts can hear. You can hear them in Just talking. kind of going over and over and over again. Yep, that rumbling of the, the mine, the elevator going down the shaft, the men working and talking, and then the screams and agony of the like men Like that dying. day on repeat, forever. Forever and ever, exactly. It just kind of goes over and over. So there are some stories that people have mentioned. A gentleman named Daniel Buharp said, in the 1970s, I was in Nevada with my family. My parents, brother, sister, and I went for a drive on a clear, sunny day. We decided to stop to have lunch inside the remains of the Yellow Jacket Mine, which was supposedly abandoned. As we were having lunch, we heard the distinct sound of machinery and tools being used inside the mine. And even though the mine was not in operation, we could hear them clearly. It was the craziest, most bizarre thing we have ever heard. But um, there's a YouTuber. Her name is Wonder Hussy, Wonder Hussy Adventures. And she goes around the USA and she explores all sorts of different abandoned and interesting places. Uh, she says, join me as I explore abandoned buildings, mines, ghost towns, and roadside oddities in the desert around Las Vegas and beyond. Has she been there? She has been there. I watched her video and now she is a skeptic, but she did think that it was very creepy and very odd. And she kind of heard a lot of interesting things as she Ooh. wandered around. 
she has an episode about it. I'll link it. I'm not sure. I don't remember what episode number it was, but I'll link it in the show notes and you can see her and, and look at, at the different places you can wander around uh, at the Yellow Jacket Mine. You know, people do say that they see full body apparitions of miners walking around, some that are kind of the playback type ghost and some that they're able to talk to through Ouija boards and psychics that have been there do feel that they're able to to talk to them. Interesting. Most people feel that like a heaviness in the air when they go there. A lot of people when they're in these cabins will feel someone put their hand on their shoulder. Several people are awakened at night by someone like startling them awake. I don't like the touching. Like, yeah. like, like if you're gonna sh- if you're gonna scare me or if you're gonna just be a ghosty ghost, be a ghosty ghost, but don't touch me. Yeah, yeah. That's like, come right up to scary. me and be like, ah, but like, don't touch me. So I'm talking today about two distinct places: both the Yellow Jacket Mine and the Gold Hill Hotel, which is right nearby. The Gold Hill Hotel was purchased in 1958 by Fred Doro, and it was kind of in disrepair at that time. And he renovated the entire thing, added a bar. It was then purchased in 1986 by Carol and Bill Fain, who renovated it all over again. They added a dining room, um, eight more modern hotel rooms upstairs, a kitchen, and they also added a wooden structure that wraps around the whole hotel. The current Gold Hill Hotel is a beautiful combination of the original brick and stone structure, as well as the various wooden and other renovations that have made throughout the year. It blends very, very beautifully. It's decorated in a period style, and the whole thing is kind of done that way. The original building does have historic rooms, including the two most haunted rooms, room number four and room number five. So of those five historic rooms, they've all been kept True to their original design, room four and five both have verandas that go off of them. And room five, or I believe room four, has a very large clawfoot tub, which is super nice. It looks beautiful. They say that because this hotel sits on top of the site, like deep underground, there are the tunnels to the mines. And that's where quite a few of the miners died and were buried, those 11 miners that never made it out. They say that one of the miners named William haunts room number five. And people will say that upon walking into room number five, you can smell a distinct odor of um, cigar smoke, like tobacco, a heavy tobacco scent, even though no one is smoking in that room. They'll also wake up to find William sitting on the end of their bed, and they can either see the full apparition of the miner sitting there, staring off into the distance, or they'll just see a depression on the end of the bed as if someone is sitting there. Now, room number four is haunted not by a miner, but by a prostitute that was there and committed suicide, supposedly, when it was a brothel. And her room is room number four, and it's called Rosie's Room. And there's quite a few tales of people smelling roses, particularly when they go into her room, and also that she will laugh and talk. They can hear a young woman talking. And she does like to move guests things around. And she particularly likes to play hide and seek with objects. So if you're staying in room number four and you, you know, put your watch down or your phone down and then you turn around and it's gone. She likes to have people kind of look around the room to try and find their things again. And then it'll be it'll turn up in a different area of the room. Usually someplace you've already checked multiple times and never the same place where you left it. Someone else mentioned that they stayed in Rosie's room and they got to smell her rose water perfume. And they said as they walked by William's room, they could smell the cigar smell. So it's pretty common for people to smell these smells. But one story in particular I thought was really interesting. And this is someone that didn't know of the hauntings when they stayed there. They more stayed for the, um, the historic aspect of it because it's kind of a cool looking place. So this person is named Richard Sennett. And he said he stayed in the room with the huge clawfoot tub, which again is Rosie's room. And he says, as my wife slept, I filled the tub and relaxed in the hot water. It was then that I smelled it. Now mark my words when I say that it was a powerful, powerful, strong smell, almost a stench, smelling overwhelming of roses. It was as if someone had dumped a bottle of cheap perfume on the floor. Intrigued, I got out of the bath and began to smell everything in the bathroom close up. I smelled the soaps and shampoos, but there was nothing there that had a fragrance remotely like oh, roses. Wow. 
I even took a whiff of the windows and doors, thinking that some trickster might be having a bit of fun with me by squirting some perfume in the room. There was nothing. Finally, just when I was convinced I had encountered the ghost, it was gone. The smell was no longer there. Not one whiff of roses. The aroma leaving almost as quickly as it had come. I know that's not normal. So he says that that powerful smell that kind of permeated the whole room was just suddenly gone as if it had never been. So he gets back in the bath thinking that that's weird and that maybe he had imagined the whole thing. But almost as soon as he'd started relaxing in the tub again, the stench of roses just rolled through the whole room all over again. This time he got out and searched not just the bathroom, but the bedroom and the scent was just gone. So the next day, while talking about it, he learned that other people had similar type experiences in that room. He believes to this day that the hotel is haunted and that he'll never forget it. I've also seen some investigators that were there that feel that it wasn't an accident because they got some EVPs that referenced murder. Oh, and a lot of murder was going on back in those days because people were trying to rob minors. That's right. And one of the theories is that it was possibly a rival miner who was jealous of the silver that they were taking out of there. Right. And that he's the one that actually set the methane fire that caused all the deaths. Not knowing that it would flood it, thinking he'd kill everybody and then go mine it himself. Exactly. And it just unfortunately caused a ripple effect and so many problems, including a lot of people not wanting to go there because of the hauntings that started right after the tragedy. So basically... Probably greed created this haunting, would be I my think guess. so. Well, that and location. I mean, there's there's scalding hot water. There's some sort of like hell-like hot water underneath. Like Yellowstone, but underwater. Exactly. You've got the quartz on top and then all this gold and silver. Molten hot liquid. That seems like a recipe to me for a place that's going to be rife with hauntings. I mean, don't do anything bad there because it's like your soul will be trapped forever. And then again, when you're talking about like Nevada in that time frame, you don't know if there was some Indian burial ground, ritual space, Native American tribal areas, like you could run into a lot of that in that area as well. Well, how often do they look at these places that were sacred to some type of people, the Celts or you know, people in whatever country, they find this plot of land that was sacred and then find underneath it is a hot spring or is some type of quartz or, or some other mineral yeah. or, or some type of geographical anomaly right. that would not have been apparent to the eye, but they knew it was sacred. That happens over and over again all over the world. And also there could be ley lines there and other things going on as far as Absolutely. like land wise. Yeah. But, but it's definitely haunted as fuck. And it's kind of super scary how clearly people hear and see these miners in their last days. And, it, and that just sounds There awful. was a lot of miners that died in the 1800s all across the country. Well, the, the safety practices were zero. They had none. Which is that's why OSHA was created. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's our stories for this evening. Shell. We've had a couple requests to kind of maybe do a Ask Me Anything episode. So I'm going to ask our listeners, a few of you have requested this. So if you have questions for Shell and I, questions about witchcraft, questions about our religious path or our past, our favorite weed, our favorite stories, ask us anything. Go ahead and send on your questions to Shell and I to thestonedwitcheshour at gmail.com. In the next couple of weeks, we will record your questions with our answers, and maybe we'll even do a video of it and put it up on YouTube. Ask us anything. I dare ya. There you go. What's your burning question for the witches of the Stone Witches Hour? We'll answer them. I'm not shy. <laughs> neither is Shell. Go for it. <laughs> Just don't, don't be freaked out about the answer again, is I guess all I can say to that. Yeah, don't ask any questions you don't really want to know the answer to. Right. <laughs> That's the rule. So that's it for episode 44 of the Stoned Witches Hour. Join us next week for, I think it's the last episode of November, episode 45. 
I think so. Holy crap. Where has this year gone? I'm not really sure. I've been having so much fun with this podcast. It's just Can you believe we've almost been by. doing this a year? Can you totally believe almost a year? I kind of can, but I also kind of can't. It's really exciting. And it, it's just, it's been getting more and more fun as we've been going along. We've only got one more Sabbath left that we have <gasps> not done. Oh, wow. That's right. We started with Impulk, remember? I do remember. And now we're going to finish up with Yule, one of your favorites. So actually what I wanted to, this was your idea, actually, because you have great ideas too. Mine usually lead to trouble. Your ideas are good. Right. Because it's our last Sabbath of the year that we haven't done yet, Let's, we're going to do like a whole Yuli Christmassy month. Ooh, I love that idea. Let's do it. So I want you to start thinking. I know we've, we're going to do an episode next week, our last November episode. We'll probably have turkey hangover. Uh-huh. Um, but, but Looking after forward that, to it. What for December, um, what I'd like to do is like, let's talk about some different Yule traditions, different Christmas traditions, Yule ghosts, Christmas ghosts. Oh, yes. I want to talk about how I incorporated Yule traditions into my Christmas traditions to for my children, because I've got some great ones that we do as a family. And I want to also talk about the ghosts of the past present and future like you said right ghosts of christmas past ghosts of christmas present and ghosts of christmas future i got such a christmas carol vibe (laughs) and unfortunately you know there there are a lot of people who have met their demise um during the holiday time and have created some haunts and we're, we're, we're going to delve into some kind of Christmas ghosties, Christmas mysteries. And sure. There's the Krampus and, legend. And, 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 and witch bottles and homemade witchy. That's right. Yes. Witch balls. And yes, um, yes. You know, and, and, and we're going to talk about some of the times where we made awesome uh, homemade Yule gifts for our coven mates. Remember those things? I adored the bath salts that you made for us. Smelled like... I remember those. Divine heaven. And I was so sad when they were all gone. You always made the best smelling stuff. But we're going to talk about some different things, different traditions, different ideas. Um, oh, yeah. We're gonna, all we're month gonna long. We're going to have a fun time. And, and, and maybe we'll find some good Christmas weed. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I'll have to find something with like super red hairs and all green and red and oof, tis the season to be jolly. But before we get to that, we're going to take one more week to be thankful. That's right. And we have a lot to be thankful for, shall we? Really do. I, I think that next time we're going to just take a few minutes. I hope I fo- don't forget this. If I'm high, I'm going to say it now so I don't forget. But In this time of being thankful in the Thanksgiving season, we want to thank all of our listeners for actually listening. (laughs) We are so thankful for you guys. Shall I am thankful for you. And I am thankful for you. That we've played along with this podcast. I have talked to you more this past year than I have in a couple years. And I'm digging it, man. I'm really... Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We have so many new friends along for the ride. So thank you all. We adore you guys. And thank you for the letters and the questions. Please keep them coming. Don't forget to ask us anything. I dare you. We'll answer. Ask us anything. <laughs> We're going to answer it all. This is like our listeners' chance to like, it's like their version of fuck around and find out. Ask us <laughs> anything. Because we'll answer. <laughs> That's right. So send them on in and thank you guys so much i am very thankful for you i'm thankful that we're able to do this i'm just having a blast and i'm thankful for the good weed so i think it's time that we wrap this up and have a few more smokes and then off to betty bye it's 4 20 a.m yeah i'm gonna go make some butter out of this because i don't know if i can smoke anymore it's so bad i'm sad puff puff pass i'll I'll roll it up Stay high, stay happy. We'll see you next week on the Stoned Witches Hour. See ya.